Folks, welcome back to Train Wreck tonight, 323. It is the first train wreck tonight of 2024. Hope you had a great holiday, whether it was Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate. We're more than happy to have you here in the new year of 2024. But it is not a new year for the Buffalo Bills. As a matter of fact, it is nearing the end of a chapter for what is hopefully a very long story. We're going to get into it with Matt Beauvais, sports director over at WKBW and co-host of the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast. We'll see what he has to say, see what matchups he's looking at, and see whether maybe there's a reason the Dolphins might be a little bit more scared this weekend heading into a matchup with the Bills. With that said, let's go. And we're back here, train wreck tonight, 323. Let's get him in here. Let's see how far we've come, Matt. Oh, they, Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making me the first guest of 2024. I am honored. Do you know, can you put an over under on the last time you were on train wreck tonight? Cause honestly, the number kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Like a year, like how long ago it's been. Yeah. Time-wise. Um, I would guess 2020, 2021. It is 2021. It was going into the uh, AFC championship uh, for the okay. Bills Chiefs matchup. We had John yeah. that week going into the KC. And it's kind of fitting uh, to bring you on in the same window. I mean, it's the same expectation. It's the same, you know, core group of Bills, coach, leaders on this team. And yeah, I mean, it feels like a happy new year. You had the ball dropping in Buffalo, you know, just 36 hours ago or so. But yeah. it feels like it's kind of the last third of a novel for the bills here. I feel kind of like it's Avengers, you know, end game entering here with this last game against Miami and potentially playoffs on deck. Yeah. It's concerning because if you slip up, there is a very real chance you miss the playoffs completely. I think if you would have told everybody, this is the pl- how it was going to play out a month ago, they would have signed up for it. But if you would have told everybody this is what, how it was going to play out a week ago, they would have probably been pretty scared because I think at that point, people started to look at the New York Times playoff predictor, the ESPN one, and they're like, oh, there's a 95% chance that the Bills are in the playoffs. So I feel like they got maybe a little bit too confident, and then this weekend played out, and sure, the Bills won and the Dolphins lost, but everything else kind of went against the Bills, the exact opposite of how Christmas weekend went. So yes, they still have a chance to be the two seed and have two playoff home games and potentially not have to travel until the AFC championship. But I think you used to do this all the time. Would you press the button for just winning the game? I think right now, would you just press the button to make the playoffs, even if that meant losing against the Dolphins? I think most people probably would, even though I know a lot of Bills fans are very confident going into this matchup. There's a lot of reasons to be confident and we'll get in those, but you said it perfectly. Uh, You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. A month ago, we were looking at this stretch. We said you can maybe win one. There are even the naysayers who were like, you could win them all and you could still not make the playoffs. But the Bills have done their part, whether it was sneaking by the Chargers and kind of sneaking by the Patriots or a resounding win over the Cowboys. They found their way to over the last month doing their part. So with that said, are you feeling that weird feeling from Bills Mafia where even though, you know, we've done our job and yeah, you're right. They Bills fans have every reason to feel confident going into this matchup with Miami. Mm-hmm. Is it a weird feeling of nervousness given on maybe the history of the Bills and how it kind of played out? Because when I'll admit I got tunnel vision on 1231 at 4 p.m., I thought we were basically packing our bags for the playoffs. Then I checked social media at 730 and it's like, no, we haven't won and we need to win to officially be in next week. Yeah, I think that 
it's a delicate balance, right? I think the best case scenario for the Bills would be that the Steelers lose on Saturday night and then you're going in playing with house money. You're either winning the division or if you miss, if you lose the game, then at least you're a wild card team. And this team is so good that even as a wild card team, I say so good, that's relative. They are good enough that as a wild card team, even if they were the seventh seed, I would feel confident that they could go into any team in the AFC, maybe outside of Baltimore, and win a game. But you would obviously like to control things. You want to be at home. You want to have two teams come to you. You feel much better in that situation. It's just Miami is so weird. I am so much higher on Miami than I think most people are. And anybody who listens to our podcast knows that. I always think that Miami is going to win. I just think they're so explosive. And I think that they're a team that can give you problems. I know that they struggle against good teams. I know that they're super banged up. I know that Josh Allen has owned the Dolphins over the course of his career. Everything tells you that the Bills are going to win this game. But that, to me, is the thing that's sitting in the back of your head of like, well, what if they have a bad game? What if they turn the ball over a couple too many times? What if the Dolphins finally figure it out? Because the last time, it's it's just scary. They just gave up 56 points to the Ravens. They got their just tails beat off the first time the Bills played them. Like, I would imagine that this is a game that they are certainly up for, even with all the stuff that has gone wrong for them the last couple of weeks. Yeah, there's multiple storylines from both sides, in my opinion. If you're Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, you're kind of just like sick of the Bills at this point. I mean, what? You've played them four times in almost the last 15 months here. You've lost to them three times. They've all been close games in their own way, even with the 48-20 score earlier this year. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, it, the angle that I'm coming in with, you're kind of coming in with like a revenge angle for the Bills or sorry, for the Dolphins, I'm coming in with like an unfinished business angle for the Bills. I mean, you look Mm -hmm. at 2021, 2022, both years that left a sour taste in their mouth of how they ended, but the thought was you're going to come back and kind of take care of business the next year. You think of the 2022 game in Miami last year. I mean, that felt like one of the worst division games in some time uh, with the result that we got, obviously, with the success McDermott and co. have had in the division over the last four to five years. But for me, it's unfinished business. And at the end of the day, I look at the odds, you know, the bills are minus 157 or, you know, minus 150, minus 140 in this game, a little bit favorite. Some people are surprised by that. But the funny thing to me, unfinished business wise, is that these odds are almost exactly where they were preseason. The bills Mm -hmm. were a favorite to win the division. They weren't a massive favorite. They were around like minus 160 to minus 200 in some spots, depending on where you get them. But yeah, for me, it's unfinished business. And I feel like the bills for the first time in what, maybe eight to 10 months truly have their destiny in their hands. I mean, it was four weeks ago. You're saying there was no room for, you know, air. They haven't mm-hmm. aired, but for the first time they had no, that if they go into Miami and take care of business against a team that Josh Allen has had a ton of success with this historically in his career, then obviously you clinch your spot. So yeah, kind of, a, yeah. No, I mean, I, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off and they're so banged up, right? It does not look like Xavier and Howard is going to play. It does not look like a Bradley Chubb. It looks like has a torn ACL, so he's obviously unavailable. They lose Jalen Phillips a couple weeks ago. You don't know if Jalen Waddell is going to play. Tua is coming off of a game where he left early. I know he said he's fine. Kind of the same situation with Josh, even though he didn't leave the game early. So those are two things to monitor. It's it's a banged-up team, and the Bills have had a lot of success against them. I think the thing that concerns you, though, is the explosive plays that they can do at any point. Bills fans know all too well about Tyreek having explosive plays. Now, those happened more when he was with Kansas City than they have since his time in Buffalo. Jalen Waddell had a couple explosive plays the last time they played in Buffalo in the regular season last year. 
Skylar Thompson is in a quarterback in the playoff game. I think everything that happened from that game, you take out and you wipe it. I liked that you brought up the odds because, of course, that is one thing to look at. Vegas makes money for a reason. So they think the Bills are favored. And the fact that they're favored by three on the road is pretty telling because that's really five and a half, six. I will say this, though. I just had this conversation with somebody I work with. The ultimate emotional hedge, if you were one of those people, is plus 452 on a three-leg parlay. If you think the Bills miss the playoffs, and that's the Steelers winning, the Jags winning, and the Dolphins winning, that pays 452, plus 452. So if you're one of those people who likes to do the emotional hedge, those are your odds, just as your doomsday scenario. Uh, first off, nobody loves doomsday scenarios and gambling more than me. So love that you're bringing that up. I think it's, yeah, it's fluctuated between, depending on where you get it, 450 to plus 500. You can also, like, believe in the Bills and semi-emotionally hedge. You can buy a couple points on the Dolphins spread. You can buy them mm -hmm. up to, say, three, three and a half. That way, if the Bills do win by a field goal, these have been close games with McDaniel and co. You can still mm -hmm. emotionally hedge and win your bet. Uh, but great points for you, of course, across the board. And I want to bring up uh, something before we get into specifically the Bills-Miami matchup this weekend, because obviously all eyes will be on the Steelers-Ravens on Saturday and the Jags-Titans on Sunday. So with that said, who do you think has a bigger chance or a hiccup? Odds-wise, bookmakers are saying these are about the same, three, three-and-a-half-point spreads. Uh, do you see maybe one opportunity that might be a little juicier for Bills Mafia? Yeah, the Steelers, I think, have a chance to lose to the Ravens, regardless of who plays quarterback. I liked that John Harbaugh said, this is not a preseason game. We don't have that many roster spots where we can just roll out like third stringers and play the entire game. Hundley has played in meaningful games and has won them meaningful games. So if that means he plays a half, if that means he plays three quarters of the game, I still think there's a chance, especially if Lamar can go out there and move the ball early. I'm kind of assuming that Lamar is going to play a quarter or two. I don't think they'll sit him for the entire game. That to me is also risky of having him sit this game and then sit for the bye week and then come back. I feel like it'll be similar to almost what the Bills did to the Dolphins a couple years ago, where even though they had everything clinched and Miami was fighting for a playoff spot, Josh and the first team offense played the first half and then they sat in the second half. In that game, the Bills scored like 30 points in the first half. That would yes. be the dream scenario if you're watching. And the Ravens go out and put up 30 points against the Steelers and then take everybody out. I still think – I think the Titans stink. The Jags are going to win that game, especially if Trevor Lawrence is healthy, and I'm assuming he's going to be. I also think oh, the Steelers are going to win. I think the Ravens can beat the Steelers, but I don't think they're going to. And that's one of the reasons I'm a little on edge about this weekend because I don't think they're going to get any of the help that they need and it will truly be two seed or miss the playoffs completely. And, you know, we always look at these things. It's always a storyline at the end of your financial incentives. Odell Beckham Jr., a number, number of financial incentives. I believe it's around six catches, 100, 150 yards or so, two TDs. If he gets all of those, he's looking at about 1.5 to 2 million more in incentives. Same with DeAndre Hopkins, a number of incentives to the Titans. So Bills fans, obviously keep an eye on them. I'm a little flip side on you. I think that the Titans are the most dangerous when they are a wounded animal, when they look like nothing. And I think mm -hmm. that they could potentially be a hiccup for Trevor Lawrence, and the Jags, especially on the road. Um, you know, I just feel like Tennessee, you know, whether, you know, it's not going to be a home game, I would assume, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They kind of tend to stay in Duval. Uh, yeah. But I, I would like to see, uh, you know, potentially the Titans winning that matchup. It would take a lot of pressure off the Bills, but obviously 
best case scenario is you go into Saturday night knowing that you're in the playoffs and you have an opportunity to win the division on Sunday night. So getting into that, speaking of winning the division, obviously a big part of whether we're going to be able to do that or not is whether we're going to see 17 plus 14 equaling six. Matt, it's something we haven't seen in a while, but plain and simple, when 14 is out there, you think he always has an ability to change the game. So I'm curious your thoughts. You know, I, you know, this is really, to me, the first real Stefan Diggs storyline we had this season. I mean, a lot of them, not to say we're fabricated by anyone specific, but he always mm -hmm. kind of talked down everything. Is that it was a bunch of nothing. He loves being a Bill. He loves being a teammate of Josh Allen, loves playing for this organization. But over the last, what, five to six weeks, we've seen, you know, much lower snap counts. We've seen, I think it was you that tweeted um, uh, against the Patriots. He didn't come out and play the first drive. Yeah. Um, out of the out of halftime, and again, that's a close game, relatively. So I'm curious where you think he is health wise, and where you think the organization is attacking it, or or whether you think you know they're methodically attacking it with that. I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't think that he's super banged up because if he was, that he would be on the injury report. And I don't think that they want to play that game of trying to hide an injury because that could come back and bite them. I think that they are trying to keep him fresh, but at the same time. Like, what are you trying to keep him fresh for? This is what you're trying to keep him fresh for. These are the games now that you absolutely have to win. So I think there's a little bit of that. I also think that they've tried to become a little bit more of a balanced offense. And I think that at times when Josh is forcing the ball to Steph, there's a lot of good that can come from that because he is their best playmaker. But that's also when he's been making mistakes because they have such trust in each other that he doesn't take that extra split second to look and see if there's safety help or if there's a linebacker who's dropping in coverage, and that has led to some of the mistakes. I think there needs to be a balance. I think this week there could be a way to attack the Dolphins with Stephon Diggs if Jalen Ramsey is not following him. This is a very much Vic Fangio conversation. Vic Fangio historically does not like to have somebody follow a player. He will have Jalen Ramsey play his side of the field, and then normally when healthy, Xavier Howard would play his side of the field. Now, because Howard is hurt, it makes you wonder, Will he change up his philosophy and have Ramsey follow Dicks? Because if he does that, then guess what? This does not need to be a huge Dicks week. This needs to be an everybody else week. Do not attack Jalen Ramsey. If there's opportunities, you cannot play scared, but you should not force it to Diggs if Ramsey is on him. If Ramsey is playing one side of the field, then guess what? Put Diggs on the other side and then force it to him. Because the last time he played against the Dolphins, before Jalen Ramsey was healthy, he absolutely took over that game. That was his best game of the season. So I think that there's an opportunity for Diggs in this game, but it should only be taken advantage of if it's not completely on Ramsey. If it is on Ramsey, then guess what? Hit your Khalil Shakir props, hit your Dalton Kincaid props, even your Gabe Davis props, because those are going to be the guys that get targeted. Very interested by that because, I mean, as a Bills fan, I think to the Jacksonville matchup in 2018, I think to the Rams matchup uh, in 2020, and then I think to, um, yeah, again, the Rams matchup in 2022, and I think of Diggs having success against Ramsey. I think of Allen having success against Ramsey. But in your mind, that's kind of like playing a flush draw and hoping to hit. You'd rather play your two pair and your three of a kind when you can. Well, listen, in the 2020 season, that game against the Rams, I think that was like week three or week four. I'm looking yep. it up right now. Yep, very early. Diggs did not have a great game. He had four catches for 49 yards and the touchdown. No, he had the touchdown on Ramsey. So I think that's the play that people mm. remember, rightfully so. But it was not a great game overall. The game to start the season last year, everybody thinks of the deep one that, you know, yeah. Allen's rolling to his right, Ramsey 
fights. He hits him over the top. Diggs celebrates in his face. In that game, he admittedly did not play well, and they were able to attack him. But I still think that if you're going – like, don't tempt fate, right? Yeah. If there's something there, take it. I got you. But you have been winning without Stefan Diggs losing his mind for the last five weeks. Why not try and follow a similar game script? Why not try and just hammer the rock with James Cook? And I'm the least likely person to say that. I think they should pass on every single play. But if you're going to have success in the run game, do it. Like take I'm not saying the Cowboys game, but some sort of blend between the Cowboys game and one of those games where Josh throws the ball 50 times. Because that also is keeping Miami's offense off the field. And to me, that's what's most dangerous about their team. Their defense has played better. Now they're really banged up. But to me, you win by having long, sustained drives where you score points and where you're also not letting Miami, one, play from in front, and two, you know, have that explosive offense dominate time of possession. Yeah, missing their pass rushers. Obviously, they want to have the offense in the field. Do you think there's any chance, as we get into the, talking about this matchup, do you think there's a chance they could, because they've always kind of been like pedal to the metal. Let's line up. Let's get Tyreek in motion. Let's get going. Do you think that based on their experiences with Josh Allen in this offense, I mean, over the last four or five games, even when they beat Josh Allen in Miami, he still had 400 yards passing. Do you think we could see them kind of slowing down on offense potentially this week? Well, a lot of that will depend on Mostert, and that'll depend on, Achan, because Mostert didn't play in the last game. He didn't play super well against the Bills in their first game of the year. He had a couple fumbles. One of them, the Bills recovered. That led to points at the end of the first half. So I think it'll depend on who they have available. If they don't have Waddle available and Mostert is available, then yes, I think they could be trying to do the same thing of running on the Bills because the Bills have shown that they're a little bit inconsistent when stopping the run. A-chan is obviously a difference maker. The one area besides Tyreek that I'm very concerned about is how they defend the screen pass because they have not done that well at all. And you have a couple different guys with Mostert, with A-chan, and even with Jeff Wilson who are dangerous players in that area. So that's one of the things that I'm concerned about. But I still think Miami is going to, you know, use their bread and butter, which is those timing throws, drop back two seconds, throw it to a window, and know that Tyreek is good enough, that he can find that spot, make a catch, and move the chains that way. Yeah, you absolutely know Tua and that co on offense are going to be looking to put pressure on the Bills defense right off the snap. Speaking about the snap and pressure, so this is a silly question when you actually think about it. Obviously, the Bills are potentially out of the playoffs with the loss, mm -hmm. but you think about the narrative around Miami, can't you know, lack of success against teams above 500, especially I think the Ravens, uh, Eagles, and Bills matchups, uh, Chiefs get brought up as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But do you think there's more pressure? on the Bills who kind of have had their backs against the wall for the last 30 days and have delivered in that in that spot? Or is there more pressure on the Dolphins knowing that if they lose, yeah, they're probably going on the road to a Kansas City. Uh, I think most of their matchups have them there with a loss. Uh, mm -hmm. Where do you see that falling? Do you think there might be a little bit more pressure on that Miami Dolphins roster despite having a playoff spot clinched? If one of the two games before the Bills game goes their way, then there's more pressure on the Dolphins. If they don't and it's win or your season is done, then there is exponentially more pressure on the Bills going into okay. the game, even with all the narratives because of what the Dolphins have dealt with and that they can't beat teams. Just get in. Listen, neither of these teams is getting a first-round bye. So if yeah. you don't get a first-round bye, the only difference is, are you going on the road or are you going on the home? Or are you going on the road or are you playing at home? In the AFC, the teams that are getting in, with Miami, if they lose, there's a chance they're the six or the seventh seed. So 
I don't know. I just think that for the Bills, there is so much more pressure because if you lose, you could potentially miss the playoffs, which would be such a failed expectation, failing to meet yeah. expectations for this season. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but for Miami, I think they're an explosive explosive of enough team that they could go on the road and win a playoff game or two. And I think the Bills could do the same thing. I don't think the division really matters that much. And also, as ridiculous as this sounds, yes, you would very much like to win the division. You want to win the division. But the schedule is so much easier if you don't next year. The teams that you play, as opposed to if you win the division, the first-place schedule and the second-place schedule are so much different this year than they are in normal years. Like, if you win the AFC East, that means, guess what? you got to play the Ravens next year. If you don't, then you got to play the Browns. And I don't know. I'd much rather play the Browns. You'd play the Chiefs on the first place of the division if you win, or you'd play the Broncos. I think most people are probably signing up for the Broncos. And then the AFC South, I think it's like whatever team of that. And I don't even know who's going to end up but whatever, whatever slot machine took it down. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I think there's way more pressure on the Bills. A lot of moving pieces here uh, on Trainwreck tonight. We are well into the second half of Trainwreck tonight, 323, brought to you by Outlet Liquor, the place to buy a case, George Urban Boulevard in Depew. Make it your stop anytime in 2024. Speaking of stops, Matt, what matchup, matchup, Ove, not Matt Ove, matchup, Ove. What like one are we watching uh, in the Bills? You've already pointed out the screen game for Miami's offense. Is there maybe a one-on-one or a unit versus like the other team that you're watching specifically? Well, I want to see the pass rush of the Dolphins and how they can get to Josh without Jalen Phillips and without Bradley Chubb because they still have some guys who can play, but this would be like if the Bills lost Leonard Floyd and Greg Rousseau, and you would feel a lot worse about your chances of affecting the quarterback without your top two guys. That's one of the reasons why the Bills struggled against the Patriots was because their offensive line, even though it held up for most of the game, there were times when Josh was feeling pressure that wasn't even there. And then there was times where he was feeling pressure that was actually there. If Josh has time, he can pick apart defenses. In the minute you turn your back on him, then he can escape and he can run. So for me, that's the matchup. That's the one area where the Bills might be able to really attack them is if the pass rush is not getting home and the Bills are able to keep him upright and give him that extra half of a second, he should be able to be much more accurate of a passer than he was this past week. And that should lead to a lot of success. Seriously, Bills fans will be keeping an eye on that as Matt Beauvais will as well. Uh, not trying to dox you, but I know obviously this is a big weekend for everyone in the media across Buffalo sports. Uh, what's the plan for heading down to the panhandle? Yeah, I'll head down Saturday morning. I actually booked the flight before, you know, a couple weeks ago, a one-way flight because I didn't know when the game was going to be. So I booked a one-way flight to Miami. I've actually never flown into Miami. I always fly, fly into Fort Lauderdale when I head down there. But I've got a one-way to Miami on Saturday morning. And then, you know, we'll go do some fan stuff. We'll probably end up at Elbow Room with a camera. And then on Sunday, it's the game time. I won't go in. That's just a death sentence. That's a, that's a Schwartz job. We got to send Schwartz in there. Yeah, Schwartz would definitely go in. Schwartz would get on the bar and would get sound with some guy who's been to every game for the last 65 years or something ridiculous. I will not be doing that, but we'll go meet up with some fans right on that Fort Lauderdale Beach stretch. I know that's where most of the Bills fans are going to be hanging out. And then the game on Sunday, that's the the 820 games I know are very, very anxiety-provoking for fans because you sit around and wait. But for I, I don't know what to do before the game. I, do I lock myself in my hotel room and I watch the Jags game and see what happens? Do I avoid it completely? I'm one of those people who thinks when you don't watch, good things happen. And when you do watch, bad things happen. So for me, 
I might not watch a lick of either of those games and just see what that is how I've treated fantasy football this entire season. Like do not watch and good. I want a championship. So maybe that's just the secret to the sauce. And, and then if they both win, if the Jags win and the Steelers win, maybe I just won't go to the bills game then. And I'll do a favor for everybody back at home. I just won't go. And maybe that means they'll win. No end to Matt Bovee's generosity are putting his job online. And by the way, real quick, I know that, you know, I suck up to a lot of guests on here, but I mentioned to Matt, we need, you know, coverage in the tailgates. We need coverage in the lots last year. And we've seen yeah. it a lot more this year out of WKBW. So love to see that coverage. Love of the, obviously everything going on there at channels. Make sure you're following at WKBW Schwartz and obviously the whole sports team over at channel seven. Can I, can I get a prediction out of you or, or is it too early in the week for that? It's too early in the week for that, but I can tell you that I think the Bills win. I don't think they win comfortably, though. I think it's a very close game. I think that the over-under is 50. Is that still what it's at? So yeah, I think that right you you know, you know work backwards off the over-under. Whoa, can't believe that that's the case. But, hey, they're always right. I, I think the Bills win this game like 27-23. Just a field goal, I think they cover, but I think it's going to be one of those games where, you know, Miami has the ball at the end of the game, and if they go down and they get a touchdown, they win, and if they get a stop, they lose, and I think that that could be kind of how we see this game play out, which I know is just going to make people pull their hair out. And totally awesome. Yeah. yeah could you, I mean, uh, you know, if and worse, uh, you already given me nightmares, but I can see a, a situation where and it's an amazing first half and similar to other games down the stretch here, the Chargers game, uh, the, you know, especially the uh, Chiefs game comes to mind. They were able to jump out two scores in that one might be close and nitty gritty down the stretch there. Of course. Let um, me ask you oh, a question. Okay, go ahead. Shoot. Would you rather be up three with giving the ball back to Miami with two minutes left or down three getting the ball back? Okay, what's the, so so it'd be like it'd be like twenty four like twenty one Miami or something. Yes, or twenty four twenty one Buffalo. A large a large a lot of it has to do with how they played out of the half. Um, I would say like if you had the Chargers game for example, they were down ten nothing about twenty minutes in. I think I would be feeling confident in that scenario because the offense had been producing the last twenty five to thirty minutes. If it's something where they've been stagnant, for example, we'll get into this in a second. But the college football playoff uh, semifinal yesterday, Michigan mm -hmm. down twenty thirteen. It looked like you know their bell was rung, having not scored mm -hmm. in the second half and things like that. So with that said, I'll live and die by Josh. I, I, overall, uh, I, I will go down on that sword. So I'll choose to have the ball. Uh, but ultimately, I'm confident in both those scenarios, truthfully. I think McDermott closing out the game and Josh having a chance to win it in regulation are two things that I will always support and always get behind. Um, yeah. Speaking of supporting and getting behind, uh, Matt, there's a lot of sadness in the Saberhood. Uh, I got to ask you right now. I'm not trying to be infinite with it, but with their inability to stack wins, mm -hmm. is the season nearly lost? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're they're just not that good. They, they I was could, trying to go easy on you. No, absolutely, absolutely not. No, they they're not that good. They're not that talented. The guys who have immense talent are not playing even close to their potential. For some reason, they have a hard time beating the teams that they are around, and then they lose to the or and then they you know sometimes actually beat the teams that are really really good. They are in a stretch right now where they could absolutely go on a run. Like if you look at their next month, these games, there are a lot this of winnable games. This, is the, this is the stretch, but I have no confidence that they're going to be able to do it and sustain it for any extended period of time. Even if you finally win back-to-back -back games, like to get yourself out of the hole that you're in, you got to go 
seven and three. This, well, this was my question. How big of a winning streak would it take for you to be like, you know what? The Sabres team's got the moxie. They got the juice. They got the mojo. They could make a run. I would going into the end of the year. I was telling myself like four to five games. I said three to get me back in it, four to five so they can make a run. I think with losing another one on New Year's Eve, kind of just to reinforce the message that they can't win multiple in a row, I'm thinking the number's a hard five at least. Yeah, that's the number that I had too. I'm looking up at the standings right now just to see exactly how it plays out. But yeah, I would say five games would be it for me. I mean, they're 15, 19, and four. They're eight yeah. games under 500. I know that the overtime games, you get a point or whatever, but like they've lost eight more games than they have won with the expectations that they had going into the season. There is still more than half a season to be played. There's a lot of hockey left, but I think five wins, or if you break it down into like a 10 game segment, you probably have to get seven, seven out of 10 to feel like you were at least in it. It's just, I mean, they're the second worst team in the division. And they've got six more games played than Ottawa. So they're just not playing well at all. They can't score goals. And their goaltending has not been good. Their goaltending has been fine. It's not the only reason why they stink. But the guys who have scored goals for them are now not scoring goals. I will say there's a little reason to be optimistic because you can clearly tell the difference between their top three lines with a healthy Quinn and with Greenway back in it than when they were missing Quinn and then they had Greenway gone because those lines combinations were bad, bad. These are at least like, okay, you could see them start to figure – because the second line, the Quinn-Cousins-Paterka line has looked very strong since Quinn came back, and Quinn looks good. If the first line gets going and Middlestack continues to play the way he has played, then I think you could start to see more of these games where they consistently score three, four, five goals a game, and then you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room I'm not sold, though. Defensively, it's a nightmare. They've got to break up Dalene and Samuelson. That pair has not worked. Why does, let figure. me ask you a question. Why does that feel so obvious to every fan? Why does that feel so every obvious to every analyst, but doesn't seem obvious to the Sabres, honestly? Because they don't have a lot of other options. It's It's like, it seems so obvious, but it's also, what are you going to do? Because they have looked good at times together in the past. Samuelson is a good NH, he's a good player. He's a vibes guy, but he's not a top pair defenseman, and he's not even really a second pair defenseman. On most teams, he's probably a third pair guy. But because they have had success with him and Dalene, it's like, okay, well, we're going to do that, and then we're going to have power play with whoever. And they swung and missed so far on Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton. Like, those guys just have not worked. So now they don't have a ton of other options, right? I mean – I think that they trust Johnson more than they should. I think that they trust Clifton more than they should. I know you're a UPL guy. I know that this has been a good stretch relative. But my, I still... my spin zone on UPL is the starts have been great. Uh, or not great, but but from what you were going into the season expecting, he's surpassed expectations. It's been relief appearances and everything that brought his numbers down. But I think you sum it up perfectly. It's when one thing is going right for the Sabres, the other thing is a disaster. If you're getting offense, you're not getting stops by your goaltender. You're not getting good defense. When you're getting good defense and getting stops from your goaltender, you're only scoring two goals a night. I mean, I tweeted out something, I think it was last week, in nine of 17 games, Matt, at home, they haven't scored in the first 30 minutes. That's just simply not acceptable. Yeah, it's not acceptable. And I think the offense will come. I think that they're trying to figure out what their identity is, which is such a weird thing to say for a team that had such a dynamic firepower before this last year. 
it, it feels so weird that they tried to tighten things up so much that they almost forgot how to play the game that they were actually good at playing. And the other thing, too, they're getting no help from – their power play is laughably bad. You know, I try and be a pretty glass half full. Their power play is one of the worst power plays I have ever watched. There Legitimately is, a disadvantage almost. Y- yes. I mean, you think about the game. What's the game that they played before Ottawa that they won? Who they play? Columbus? Played yes. Columbus, right? Like their power play hurt them. There was a multiple shorthanded breakaways. And there were moments rushes. in the third period where it looked like Columbus probably should have gotten called for penalties, and you could hear the crowd start to boo. And you sit there and wonder, and you're like, "Are you sure? I know that you would rather be with the man advantage, but are you sure? Because the times that you get it, you give up breakaways. Like Jeff Jeff Skinner's a good player. Jeff Skinner is so good at scoring goals. Get him off the power play." He forces so many bad shots. Dalene is not nearly as effective on the power play. The threat of a Tage Thompson shot is now that all they have, and that hasn't even worked. So it's just a lost, broken group. The power play is so bad. And how much historical data? Just we'll get off the savers here. Do you have that? I mean, Skinner doesn't need the power play. What a five-on-five goal scoring over the what last seven to eight years? He's top five in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like. Because he scores at even strength, you assume that he would be able to score when it's a five-on-four situation, and he can. Like, he is still probably one of their better options as a strictly goal scorer, but the passes that he tries to force or the plays that he does not sometimes make are one of the reasons why they're giving up these shorthanded chances. But the thing that they run into is, one, the power play stinks, so they're trying to balance it out and have two units, so then they break up the talent that way. The second thing is Cousins, who was a lock on your power play last year, has not looked nearly as effective this season. So you could just say, okay, well, let's just replace Skinner with Cousins or let's just replace Skinner with Middlestat. But then look at your second unit and your second unit is even worse than the first, which I know is like the reality of the NHL. You're not going to have two equally talented units, but it feels like even then there's a drop off. And considering how bad the first unit is, that drop off is scary. It, that is, for me, the biggest concern with this team is how bad the special teams are. Some very scary trip, trickle-down unitnomics, I think you could refer to that as. Yeah. Uh, huge shout-out for Matt Bovey, sports director, WKBW, and co-host of Always Game Day in Buffalo for joining us. We just got a couple minutes left here on Trade Tonight 323. Just want to shoot these with you, Matt. I know you had a great holiday with the fam, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you know, little one's uh, first Christmas, correct? Yes, little one's first Christmas. Okay, so very exciting. But we got a little late gift yesterday, some CFP classics. Did you catch these games? I watched the Michigan-Bama game. That was really good. And then I was actually switching over at the end and top of the hours to Raw because I wanted to see the Raw. There he is. So, there he is. So, Proud of you. We'll get to that in a second. But yes, uh, yes. I, did, I, did, I watched a little bit of the first half of the Washington-Texas game and then fell asleep. And I know that that was a good game, too. But I'm just not a big enough college football fan that I wanted to, you know, completely stay awake and watch the game. Matt, we got to do something. Sports are everything in the United States of America. The TV ratings speak for themselves. We cannot have a matchup that everyone has had eyes on for more than seven to ten days, aka these CFP semifinals. We cannot have one starting after 9 p.m. We we all this should be a regulated law. That any important matchup that has at least a week or two in build should have to start by 8.08 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the East Coast. Thoughts? Yes, absolutely. It's it's way too late. And I know that and it's also way too late any day 
but the fact that most people had the holiday off and then were going back to work the next day makes it even worse because you have the coming back back from a holiday break scaries. And I don't think most people are signing up to watch college football until 1215. It's one of the issues that I have with the World Series. I know it's a regional thing and that if you've got a West Coast team, you've got to push the starts back. But like, I don't stay up to watch the World Series. Maybe I would consider it if they started at seven o'clock. But if first pitch isn't going to be till 808 or something, I'm not staying up to watch that. The NBA Finals gets away with it because it's the NBA and they'll have like a 903 tip at the start of the NBA Finals, which is absurd to me. But yeah, I think that college football should have had, they should do like what the AFC and NFC Championship does, where it's like a three o'clock game and then like a 630 game. Um, The Winter Classic, you know, would get completely overshadowed, but it does anyway already. And then like, you know, those other bowl games, just play them a different day. Like they don't need to all be on New Year's Day. Yeah. Made up for it by being a couple of classic games. Obviously next year they're going through one through eight uh, real quick. You got to pick Michigan, Washington. I think Michigan to be a small favorite, but I haven't even looked yet. Um, I think I'll take Washington just because I really like Penix. And I think that when you have a good quarterback, like a really good quarterback, that that's, the tiebreaker to me. So I don't know enough about college football to say like, okay, here's this, here's this. I, I know people really like JJ McCarthy, but just watch them watch Penix and watch JJ McCarthy. To me, Penix yeah. is a light years, better prospect. And they've got some weapons. They've got multiple really good game changing wide receivers. So I think that it'll be close because Michigan's got a good defense and they could really run the ball. Well, but I, I think that Washington could, should probably win. And it'll be an interesting game because Michigan's obviously going to try and make it happen in a phone booth and Washington's is going to try and play in outer space for sure. Speaking of outer space, the solar system erupted when the rock returned to WWE yesterday. And this was not just a one-off Matt. This wasn't a one-off to promote SmackDown being on Fox or whatever. The rock is quote unquote back back for at least the next month or two, potentially a road to WrestleMania. So first off, does this mean that Matt Bovey is on the road to WrestleMania? No, it does not. It does not. I, I don't. I'll, I'll watch the Royal Rumble for okay. sure. Okay. And then I will watch WrestleMania and maybe I'll mix in a show or two occasionally. There were people who were wrestling last night that I had never even heard of. I am so out of the I am to call me even a casual fan is probably a little bit of a stretch, but I knew The Rock was going to be there. I love how they did it. I love that they brought out Jinder Mahal. And then just because you knew. Mahal played his role perfectly. There is an art to to playing that role. Everyone acts like it could be anything. He played that perfectly. So kudos to Jinder Mahal for like kind of like the appetizer to The Rock's Mm -hmm. filet mignon. Yeah, it was perfect. So I liked how they did that. I will, like I said, I'll watch the Royal Rumble. I'm a little bit more interested now because of The Rock and because of CM Punk and because of all the different storylines. But it just kind of feels once again, casual fan here. If somebody's like a diehard, they might yell yep. at me, but doesn't it just feel like it's going to be Seth CM Punk and then it's going to be The Rock and Roman? And I know like the whole Cody Rhodes thing, it's like, well, what is, happens there? I, You're I gonna, he's he not going to finish the story, Matt. That's going to be a no. huge issue. That's going to be a huge issue. Yeah, but if you have The Rock and Roman Reigns, like that is the thing that a casual person like me is watching. For somebody like me, uh, sure, Cody Rhodes is very, very talented. Does it need it the is, belt? That's a, that's another question because fans are arguing that match doesn't even need the belt. Um, head of the no. table is the position that they're playing for there. No, it probably doesn't need the belt. Then okay. it brings up like a whole other thing. Do you have like two matches with Roman? Do you have like there? There are what? people who are speculating Cody Roman night one, Rock Roman night two. 
Yeah, but if you're going to do that, there's no way Cody beats Roman night one. There's no way. They're not yeah. going to have him lose back-to-back nights. That's fair. So, right? Like, I don't know. That's a, I mean, Roman, the thing is, they're they're portraying him like the Hulk Hogan, Bruno San Martino. The people have been inter- interfering in his matches for the last two to three years. So, even though they're trying to make him a dominant champ, he's not. But we love that Matt Bovee is at least one foot. You have a, you have a toe in the pool on the road to WrestleMania right now. Yeah. I'm going to say that. Please. Yeah. Um, and hey, maybe we'll, we'll get you on for some Royal rumble analysis, uh, wrapping it up here. Train our tonight resolutions, new year goals, WKBW yourself, personal, anything you got for me, anything you can lay on us. Uh, WKBW. I want to start doing things a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I feel like I've sometimes just like, Hey, this is kind of what works and this is what we do. I want to just try and take some more chances be a little bit more creative and I don't exactly know how we're going to do that or how I'm going to try and do that. But I think that that would be something I'd like to do, you know, during football season, it's pretty easy, right? Like you're very, very hyper-focused on the bills. You have weekly shows that you do, you travel, you do all of the stuff. And I really, really enjoy that. And I like how regimented that is. But once the season ends, it's what do you do for those five, six months to not only make yourself valuable, but also bring content to people that maybe they don't have other ways to get. So I think that's kind of the goal from a personal or from a professional standpoint, personal standpoint, it's the usual stuff. I've got a daughter now, so I want to be healthier. I want to make sure that I'm around for her for a long, long time. Same thing. I want to, I want to be a little less judgmental. Sometimes I'm pretty judgy, even though I don't outwardly look it. Sometimes I can be a little bit, not like in a bad, I think maybe I just jump to conclusions sometimes a little bit sooner than I should. So for a, lot, me, a lot of people say that about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I still think that I'm a pretty nice person, but I just want to try and be even more genuine and even more nicer because I think we can all do that. So yeah, I think those are probably the things that immediately come to mind. Nothing wrong with a nice person getting nice. No golf goals in there. Come on. At least a round number or maybe going under 85. You're a pretty solid guy. I, I was oh. pacing under 90 in Florida last week. I was feeling... I was not ready for the moment, man. I'm like a 95, hundred guy. I was pacing 86, dropped a 54 on, on the back nine, finished with a 96. No, so under 80, not to sound like a prick here, 85 for me would be a bad day. So I'm, I'm a 8.5. I, I okay. don't, and I barely, I played like nine rounds of golf last year because last year was the craziest year of my life. So last year is a bad year to gauge it on, but I would say if I go play a round, like at a typical round, my sweet spot is like 80 to 82, like 80, 81, 82, 83. I am an incredibly consistent above average golfer, but do not go low nearly enough. And also don't care to put in the work to ever get low. Like I'll have four or five rounds a year where I shoot in the high seventies and then 25 rounds where I shoot between 80 and 85. But my, my range, because I've played for so long, is not as big as probably most people's, where there's some people who would go shoot a 78, and then they could shoot a 90. My range is not that big. My range is like, oh, you have a good day, you shoot an 80, you have a bad day, you shoot an 85. Like, that's the range. So for me, it, like, it takes serious time and effort to go from being the level of player that I am to just being a little bit better, and I don't True. care enough to just get a little bit better. The one thing, though, which is fun, is I have used the exact same irons for 13 years. I got those irons when I was a senior in high school. And because I won my fantasy league, I'm using the winnings to get myself new clubs. And I know that clubs do not make a player, but my clubs, are thir- my clubs are 13 years old. I would imagine that having like actual new clubs will probably help give me some extra distance, which is cool for me because 
I'm not a particularly long. I hit my irons really, really high. My irons are my best part of my game. I'm a pretty controlled iron and wedge player. My driver is terrible. But if I could just get like an extra five, 10 yards on my irons, I think that would go, no pun intended, a long way for kind of getting me even more towards those low 80s as opposed to like 83, 84. A great pun from a nice guy getting nicer here in yeah. 2024. Matthew Bovet, thank you for coming on Trainwreck tonight, 323. Any shout outs before we go? Uh, shout out you guys. Keep up the good work. Shout out everybody at Channel 7. Uh, really excited for the year ahead. Shout out the listeners and uh, yeah. anybody who listens to our podcast or watches our station. I appreciate it. Seriously, shout out all the WKBW loyalists. Shout out our loyalists. If you're not, get into Miami, which I know a lot of Bills Mafia are. Get to Rec Room this Sunday for the game. Sunday Night Football is going to be lit there. Thank you very much to our guest, Matt Bovey. Everyone, make sure to have a good night now.